Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey! Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. The 2022 college tennis fall now officially in the books, at least symbolically, as the 2022 fall mat has come to a close. We are immensely grateful to all of you college tennis fans who took the time to join us for our broadcast, not only of fall mats, but of course of the All-American as well, highlighting the premier events happening just about every month in the college tennis world is something we always tried to do here at Cracked Rackets. We will continue to try to provide the best coverage of the college tennis universe throughout the course of the 2023 dual match season as well. Have a ton of fun and cool things planned for the course of this season. We look forward to rolling all of them out for you over the course of the next couple of months. And with that in mind, by the way, the text has has been sent. The tabulations are currently being made for our Cracked Rackets preseason top 10 men's and women's polls. We will begin rolling out those episodes over the course of the next couple of months. It's going to be a lot of fun in a year that is truly stacked across the college tennis nation. With that thought in mind, though, we still have one more fall event to recap. Again, fall mats in the book. So many storylines for us to cover on today's show. If we're going to try and tackle them all, you know I'm going to need some help. And as always, I've turned to the man who has essentially become a co-host of this Great Shot podcast. Of course, you know him as the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, a contributor extraordinaire here at Crack Rackets. And our dear friend, John Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. It feels like you blink and the fall is over. It feels like we were just talking about All-Americans coming up. And here we are recapping really the final big event of the fall. Yeah, it's crazy how fast it goes. And I mean, there are still some relevant events on the calendar, right? For instance, there are college players playing in Knoxville. Certainly, there will be some playing in Champaign. There are bound to be other futures events where collegiate players are competing in over the course of the next couple of months. There are also sure to be some late November, early December Parsa bombs, dare we say, dropping, right? You look at the Pepperdine women's tennis roster. There are only six players on it. They're going to add someone to the mix. It's just going to happen over the course of the next six weeks. And who that someone is probably may move them up a spot or two or vice versa in the rankings. That said, you're right. The fall goes fast. And all of a sudden now we got to accumulate all the takes. Who did well where? Not only in the college ranks, but in the pro ranks as well. I had a preliminary discussion with Chris Halioris. 
it's going to be tough. To, like, I feel pretty good about my number ones on the men's and the women's side. Like, I think Virginia has earned the right to defend their number one position. I don't know how you can put anyone but the North Carolina women at number one after what we've seen this fall. After that, Jay, I guess we'll start here. Coming out of the fall, do you feel like there's more clarity? At least do you see the big picture a little better? In terms of the team big picture, not really, right? Because (laughs) there are so many of the teams that would be in that two through five range who maybe we haven't seen much of or we are waiting for answers, right? On the men's side, you have Gab Diallo, right? Does he return, right? NCAA finalist Kentucky, that's a big factor in terms of where where they are in the hunt for next year's NCAA title. On the women's side, you had a Texas team that is a lot of fresh faces, many of whom didn't participate at all in any of the collegiate events. They've been off playing pro events. So those sorts of, of question marks still remain about a lot of these teams outside of the North Carolina women and maybe the Virginia men. Yeah, and certainly we have seen some freshmen step up, whether it be uh, on the men's side, Ethan Quinn certainly, and Nishesh Basavaretti capturing the two ball titles. You had Michael Zhang of Columbia obviously having some success as well. Antoine Kornat-Chovink is a new face in the college tennis landscape. On the men's side, a lot of new faces had success. And part of that is a byproduct of a lot of the familiar faces were off playing pro events. For instance, we didn't see Shinsuke Mitsui. I don't know how you don't feel better about him, given what he did his freshman year, given the summer he's had on the pro circuit, how that impacts your outlook at Tennessee. You know, we don't know what the lineup's going to, how it's going to fill out beyond Monday, but I know I feel pretty good about Mitsui. I know I feel pretty good about Emil Hudd and Kent Hunter and that team. And factoring those things in, it's what makes this job difficult, but oh so fun, certainly. And yeah, then on the women's side, as good as UNC was, as good as some of the familiar faces, the Kylie Collins, the Daria Freemans of the world. We know Mary Stoyana is not going anywhere this season. Certainly there were some names, but you're right. There were a lot of absences, and those absences mean a lack of clarity going into the 2023 season. That said, Coming off of fall Nats, there are certainly some things we know. And let's go through those things here on today's show. We're bound to jump around from place to place, draw to draw, positive to negative take. But the place we have to start and the place where I have to credit you, and I offered you credit and cited you immediately when you revealed these stats because Tennis Abstract asked, you narrated yourself perfectly in your description of what is the biggest storyline coming out of this fall And that's Fiona Crawley. And we have spent a lot of time, I joked about this, I think I have a PhD in Fiona Crawley studies at this point, as we have navigated the entirety of her first two and a half years in college tennis. Two dual match singles losses overall. I think it's eight singles losses in total. She was an NCAA semifinalist last year, undefeated her freshman year at six singles. And now she's made that elite of the elite leaps, becoming the first player since Francesca DiLorenzo, the Ohio State number one back in 2016, to sweep both fall titles. And this is really sad that I have these numbers memorized now, but they were truly all, you know, jaw-dropping where she goes 17-0 overall in the fall, 34-2 in total sets played, Ludmilla Samsonova-esque from City (laughs) Open to U.S. Open in her run. She's dropping about two games a set 
during that run as well was the average you had a little bit over two. And again, regardless of who was or wasn't in the draw, she drops a set to Mary Stoyan at the All-Americans. She beats her in straight sets this time. You look for her in the semifinals to beat a very much informed Carol Lee, 6-1-6 love. She dropped four games on semifinal Saturday between the singles and doubles, epitomizing that rise to the elite ranks. And then, look, it was windy. These courts were slow. Daria Freeman gave her hell. In the third set, despite some early struggles, I think she went down a break to start the third, Crawley kept swinging. And that ability to take that ball early on the rise, play on her terms, it worked against everyone. And on a loaded roster for North Carolina, still a lot of questions in the air, Crawley has to be number one, right? Like, that's your unequivocal number one player entering the dual match season. Well, she will certainly be the number one player in the ITA rankings. There's no doubt about that. Where she plays in the North Carolina roster is certainly anyone's guess, right? We still haven't seen Reese Brantmeyer play collegiate tennis. She did make the finals of a 25K. So she's clearly healthy. She's clearly playing well. But yeah, I would say it's hard to imagine Fiona Crawley playing anywhere other than number one, just given the incredible fall that she's had. I was looking back, I think you asked this question on the broadcast is of, is this the best fall ever? And so you mentioned Francesca DiLorenzo of Ohio State in 2016, winning the All-Americans and Fall Nats. Uh, Jamie Loeb did it for North Carolina in 2013. Two other women have done it in 1984 and 1985. The thing that is interesting when you compare Crawley's fall season, 17 and 0. With Real both- quick, just because we got to give a shout out, right? So shout out to Gretchen Rush of Trinity and Beverly Bowes of Texas. Just, we respect the 80s here, Jay. Come on, name the names. Shout out. Yeah, well, they were in my notes. <laughs> I just don't have those up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so four, four women overall. Uh, I did not go back and look at um, either of the 1980s records, but uh, Crawley, 17 and 0. Francesca Di Lorenzo did lose a match in 2016 fall. She played the U.S. Open event, which I wish they would bring back. She lost there. And then Jamie Loeb uh, was 19-1, and one, also lost a match in her fall season in 2013. So stats-wise, probably the greatest fall we've seen. And you are right, and we're going to do this one more time, and we'll do it quickly because we've done it before. We'll do it when we do our preseason pod about them. You're right. We really haven't seen Scotty, and we really haven't seen Riley Tran play that much singles here this fall either. Now, we have seen Crawley, no doubts about her form, going into the season. We also have to give another massive shout-out to Annika Yarlagata, who reaches the consolation final as well in this event and gets knocked out by Chloe Beck in that final, but it's like, don't worry. You're probably not going to be playing one, Annika, so it's fine that you're losing to Chloe Beck, who will play one, two, or three, and like that you're competing as well as she did, and you look for Yarlagata to get wins in the semifinals over Marley Zane, 0-3. That's a really good win over a fifth year, who obviously played in the upper half of the lineup for Florida. A good win over Kimmy Hans, albeit via injury, and then who she beat first round, Cam Moore. Well, that was the withdrawal over Mora, so that one doesn't count. Still... Between the All-American and the Fall Nats, what it proves is that it's real for Yarlagata. And it's just like, 
I, I almost feel about this team like I do the 2020 North Carolina team, where it's just like, yeah, they're the unequivocal number one. And I guess my final question as it pertains to North Carolina is the delta between them and the rest of the field. Because one of my sneaky takes away from this fall Nats is how good Julia Garcia Ruiz was, the freshman, I believe, lefty for Oklahoma, how well she moved the ball around the court, her ability to take the ball early on the rise, the fact that they bring back or they add her and only lose Chanta, and it's like, okay, but they didn't have Chanta for the NCAA run and they still made the final. That's probably my number two team heading into next year just because they bring everyone back. I don't know if you agree or disagree with me right now, but I guess my question is how big is the gap between North Carolina and the field for you? I mean, I think right now it feels like a massive delta, but that could very quickly close, right? You look at even the team like North Carolina State with Diana Schneider, who's off playing WTA events, right? And like probably eligible to make Australian Open qualifying, um, or definitely eligible to make Australian Open qualifying at this point. So she's at one, Alana Smith at two, Ranchali at three. Like there are a lot of teams where I just need to see these pieces come together, right? The same with Georgia. Do they have Alexandra Vakic eligible? Is she playing in the lineup? Leah Ma is back. That was a, that back. was a take. That was like, oh. And playing very well, right? Wins the Southeast Regional there. Um, has a good showing here at Fall Nat. So Right now, it feels very large between North Carolina and these other teams. I don't know if it it won't get larger. It'll only get smaller between today and January 1st. That's true, but also Stanford, all the pieces they have with the freshmen they bring in. That's a really fun – I can name you, the, you know, five right now off the top of my head. I feel good about against anyone. Obviously, we've seen Maddie Sieg however you say her last name, I apologize. And USC's got a nice roster on their hands as well. Can they take a leap forward? I like, and I'm avoiding bias this year. I'm saying this just objectively. I really like Michigan's roster. Like I think last year was the year before, let's get some wins, let's play some close matches. But this is the year where it's like Kari Miller's a junior, Jaden Brown's a junior, and you have two top 25 players to go along with some pretty good depth along the way as well. And shout out to the family, Julia Fligner, who's obviously had a very good fall as well. It's, I, I guess I feel pretty good about this top 10 would be my takeaway. I don't know how this spun from Crawley to the top 10 at large, but there are a lot of good teams. And so as good as I feel about North Carolina, I don't know I can say the Delta's that big because it's like it's still a, it's still a relative – I don't know. Is it a new North Carolina team? I don't know what my reservations are. I guess it's that I like the field a lot. Well, I mean call out the elephant in the room, right? They've never won the NCAA tournament. And I think that that is always a question mark that hangs over the balance of the North Carolina Tar Heels. And you have to, for example, like Texas, I don't really know what that makeup of the roster is, but they've won the NCAA title the last two years with roster turnover between those years. I kind of have a sense of like, hey, they could probably get this done and find the pieces. Same thing with Stanford, right? Now that they've kind of gotten over a COVID hump, they bring brought in uh, Alexis Blockina, who's looking really strong as a freshman. Look, there are just always going to be question marks about the Tar Heels until they get over that hump. But it's not that for me. What I think it is, and here are some teams I'm glad I remembered that 
also belong in this conversation. It's that NC State's probably going to see him three times. It's that Duke is probably going to see him three times. And it's just like it's really hard to beat a team, as we like to say here on these podcasts, more than once in a single season. And those are the matchups they'll likely see later in the year. I think it's an Oklahoma roster that if they don't play at the national indoors, fine. It will still be a second head-to-head matchup between these two cores. They're aware of one another. Why I guess the delta I don't think is that big is that it's still many veterans at all these other schools. So we still have that COVID year, all the COVID year players still involved. And we just have this many players with this much experience. As we learned this past May, where, you know, every women's match every night, 4-3-4-3-4-3-4-3, parity is probably still the better bet over any individual big favorite. I think you're hedging mainly because of how confident we oh, were. Oh, no. I'm going to pick Pepperdine. North Carolina. I'm not but, hedging no, I'm just saying. No, but we were very confident. Like Pepperdine had a fantastic fall last season, right? Their players who were at five, six, seven were going on and winning these individual tournaments. And you're going, my gosh, like how is this team not going to win the NCAA tournament? And things happen, right? So I think you're a little burned from that experience. But – The reality is, is that the fall that they've produced is second to none uh, and has affirmed that their players who are in those positions of like, someone's going to have to play five, someone's going to have to play six. Those are players that are top, will probably be top 10 players come this next iteration of the rankings. Yeah, it's going to be a really good North Carolina team. I'm still picking them. Let's be clear. Um, They are still the unequivocal number one. It's just how big is that delta? I guess... I'm just encouraged by a plethora of things from the fall. I saw enough nuggets of success from different locations that I'm excited. Let me open it up to you, though. If Crawley's the top storyline coming out of the women's event, what's storyline number two in your mind? Mm, Of the women's event? Yeah, let's stick with the women's side for now. Well, it's probably Freeman. Right. And just her consistency at this event and these conditions seem to suit her quite strongly. Um, You know, I thought she had a really strong event. Um, There were not a lot of. I didn't think there were a lot of new storylines that emerged at this tournament. Uh, Freeman was interesting because she had struggled a little bit more early in the fall season. Uh, she did not have the deep runs at some of these tournaments. And so here to make the finals, defending finalists here, um, that's certainly storyline number two. And also just the the dramatic fashion in which she did it, right? To play that close to four-hour match with Connie Ma, you know, cr- fight back and get that second set against Fiona Crawley. You know, I think she acquitted herself extremely well. And that's a Princeton program that's in flex right now, right? They're just bringing in a new coach, um, you know, so there's a lot of movement and change happening there. Yeah, I think actually, and you're right, let's quickly do this. Shout out to Daria Freeman. That match with Connie Ma, three hours, 49 minutes. That's as good as it gets. They were just, it, the fight, the tenacity, the grind, both of their ability to move the ball around the court. Freeman's willingness to step inside the baseline a little bit more in the third set, take her backhand a little bit more aggressively down the line. It looked like with top 10 college tennis should look like and 
you know, you talk about the lack of new – and so shout out to Daria Freeman who makes finals back-to-back years. That's not done very frequently. Now, unfortunately, she doesn't end up with a title. But to even have any legs left and extend that Crawley match to three sets and just, again, the tenacity she showed, you're right. We have to give her a shout out. That said, the lack of new storylines point you made is something that resonates with me. And that's where I kind of want to go next because it's not a new storyline – But let me just, again, read you this list of names, and you're going to realize, I think, by name. Well, just say, got what your point is when you realize when it is. Connie Ma, Carson Tangillig, Savannah Brooks. I got it. Yeah, I I knew I was going to say two (laughs) or three names. Uh, Mary Stoyana, Sarah Hamner, who won a couple of matches in the Constellation but still qualified for this field. And, you know, Yepa Fanova made the field. Hans was injured, but she made the field. Chervinsky's a sophomore, I think, as well, right? And she's in the field. This sophomore class is so good. It's really, really good on the women's side. And... I don't know if I'm surprised by how many are still in college. I actually kind of love that aspect of it. When I look at this group, Connie Ma's already arrived, right? Like, it's very clear she's a top 10 player. She made the NCAA finals last season. She's here. She's going to play one for Stanford again. There's no doubt about her impact. But, like, one of Brodus or Tan Gillig, or maybe both, might not lose a match this season. And they're just going to, like, be quietly ripping along and we see them. Like, we see they're both primed in my – I mean, I at least think both are primed to be in that position. Hearing Fiona Crawley talk about Carson Tangillig just confirms everything you and I have ever said when we watch her play, where it's just like, the, well, there's nothing she can't do on a tennis court, and it's just figuring out what she wants to do point by point. Brodus is just a joke. Like, watching her and Janice Chen play doubles – I'm pretty like all due respect to the system. I love you, NC State. I love you, Miller and Rejecki. Really fun interview. But like th- those two are just overwhelmingly excellent in the power they bring on court. Broad is crossing at the net. Janice's aggression. All of this is to say this sophomore class is star packed, and the NCAA results are probably driven by how many of them make the jump to elite of the elite this season. Yeah, I think that's a good point. When I was previewing this event on my show, called uh, names. We call no ad, names. no ad, no problem podcast. You can there listen. Um, you know, we were talking about you know these fall events are really the breakthrough storylines for people, right? And oftentimes you'll see at the fall nats like a solidification of what happened at all Americans, or you'll see new faces break through. And, you know, I was really interested to see Savannah Brodus who didn't play all Americans, how she would fare. Right. We've talked about the upside that she has. Uh, so in some ways, you know, we didn't see that sophomore breakout uh, at this event, but as you mentioned, there's just so many names that over the next six months, by the time we get to may, we're still early in many of these people's development right like you expect to see continued jumps from these players notably savannah brodis carson tangillig just with the weapons that they possess who plays one for texas a&m brandstein or it's brandstein brandstein i apologize it's been a little bit i'm still working my way back into mid-season form her or mary you know (laughs) Look, these who plays one questions are very tough because there are 
factors at play. Um, I would say I would bet money that Carson plays one and Mary plays two. Carson, JC, Janet, Gianna, Mary is a good five to start. And you only need one other player to click if you're Texas A&M. That's a team that's going to win a lot of matches this year once again. And Mia Kupris. Yeah, ITF Junior coming into that lineup. There you go. There's the six. I have said before, I'll say it again. If Texas A&M beats Oklahoma, they might win the NCAA tournament. They were that good. They just needed the one big win to kind of be like, okay, we got it. Like, and everyone else is still good everywhere. I'm fascinated to watch that team bounce back. I have a couple other stock up, stock down, I suppose. But the other, the only last big storyline, and you're the expert on our West Coast analyst, as I like to say, and on Election Day, we're going to kick it to the West Coast now with you, Stanford women. Round of 16 last year, that's not the standard, obviously, as a coast to Stanford. The year before, round of 32, that's never the standard when it comes to all things Stanford. That said, when I look at this team, Ma, Yepafanova, Blakina, Blake, I'm blanking on a name right now, not Michaela Gordon. She's finally done, but there's another obvious name. Who am I missing? Well, it's Valencia Shue and Sarah Troy. There we go. Thank you. So there's your six. That's a really good six. Is it great? Where are you with Stanford? Top five? Top ten? I mean, they're going to be in the top ten discussion. Are they tier one for you entering the season? It's it's tough. I think there are just so many teams that can, that can compete with that top four, right? I think you're in an excellent position to have Blockina or Blake at three and four. Those are great names to have there. But... There are a lot of teams that can compete there, and there are a lot of teams I would probably favor at five and six who would still be in tier one. So they're absolutely a top 10 team this year. This should be a better year than last year. Are they a tier one contender right now? Probably not. They need to win the Pac-12. They need to be a top eight seed. Like they, The seeding has been devastating for the Cardinal over the past yeah. couple of years. and the They need to make season. indoors. <laughs> yeah, that's, no, for sure. And I do think when you look at this Stanford team, again, they should get – they've been tripped up on the road at these different locations. And this year, they should have a full fall. COVID regulations should allow them to play a full schedule. It'll be interesting to see how this team does. You know, again, do they have that – I think they have the depth to beat a lot of people. But you're right. I'm interested to see top end versus top ten. I want to see Mon Yepafanova take on the big dogs. I do want to see Blake at three, at four – she could be elite like at those positions. We just don't know it because we haven't seen it much of late. I need to see the Stanford team tested because on paper, I like a lot of what they have. Um, all right. Again, as you look at the women's side, Crawley, your champion. She obviously knocks out Freeman in the finals. Again, Crawley 1-0 over Carol Lee. That's a really good run for her, the junior from Georgia Tech in the semis. Freeman Ma, the fantastic semifinal. Your consolation champ is Chloe Beck. Chloe Beck wins over Sarah Hamner. Annika Yarlagata to close things out. Yarlagata, the aforementioned win over Zane. You look on the double side. I already did my Chen Brodus rant. They were exceptional. They win the title in the end over the two seeds, Crawley and Tan Gillig. Brown, Miller, Travinsky, Subash, semifinals once again. They do that at both the fall majors. That's your look at the results. Any other women's takes, Jay? No, I think, uh, you know, we talked about this with the All-Americans with the Michigan doubles, right? Good to see them making deep runs again. Uh, that was such a pain point for them last season. So if they're able to turn that around. That will help them in a lot of matches this season. 
the only team we haven't talked about that I would mention is Georgia, where you talked about them a little bit earlier, but with their fall results, it's just like we didn't see anyone. Like, again, where is uh, two sophomores I did not talk about were there two superstar sophomores from last season who we have not seen much of if all at all on court now. Those two plus Liam back, I really like that top three. And we'll figure out four, five, six as we go. But, like, that's a high upside top three. Where are you with Georgia? I mean, Georgia could be in the top four if they have Alexandra Vekic eligible. I mean, if you have Vekic, Liama, Vidmanova, Riasco as your top four, you're going to have Kowalski battling at five and six somewhere. You have Lopata, who was a top 50 ITF junior coming in as well. And you have other sophomores like um, Grumella Grant. Like they have a ton of talent on that team. So they're absolutely in the top 10, even without Vekic. They're a top six, top four type team with Vekic. That's what I'm saying. Stanford and Georgia will be good, but how good, I don't know. And that's what I'm looking for. You know, those are the two blue bloods, right? Those are two we know they're going to be good, but the question is to what degree? Yeah, I think one team that's sort of underwhelmed that we haven't talked about is Duke. We really haven't seen a ton of Duke. You mentioned so Chloe. So did Beck. they underwhelm? Make the case. I think they definitely underwhelmed. Uh, like Chloe Beck did not have a fantastic fall. Cam Mora did not have a fantastic fall. We no, they not... both played All American and Fall Nats main draws. But you're, to your point, you're right. Go on. Yeah, these were top 10 players last season coming into the fall, right? Did they have top 10 falls this season? Probably not. Georgia Drummy didn't really play much, right? Who played number two for Duke last season. And the the grad transfers that they brought in have not made sort of national impact. They've been playing more of the regional events, right? In Brianna Schvetz, um, in Bryce Golova from Penn. So... Yeah, I, I think they have sort of underwhelmed or been under the radar uh, this fall for sure. I think it's Brizgalova, just for the record. Um, but it just because I clicked on it recently. See, here's the thing, though. On paper still, and because it's so experienced, I know we'll miss Kelly Chen, but Beck, Drummy, Mora, Schvet. You're right. We didn't talk about Coleman and Jackson, two sophomores who you feel like could have popped this fall and – yeah, Didn't Jackson, Jackson had a, a, an okay regional. She did yeah. – I think she made at least the semis of the Carolina regional there. And, She's playing and, well. And I don't know the injury history. And, again, I will say this, though. On paper, and Katie Codd coming in as well, she had a really good summer, spring of pro events. We saw yeah. her on the SoCal Pro Circuit. I know we haven't seen her play much, but still, on paper, this Duke roster is very, very talented. I guess it's how old they are. It's like, I don't know. If, if Schwetz is your four, you're feeling pretty good, right? Well, I thought that three months ago. I don't know if I still feel that way. I don't know. I'm still buying this Duke roster. I think they're going to be very good next season. I mean, they made the semifinals this past year. Yeah, so, that's crazy. You're right. I mean, that's probably the expectation this season as well. Absolutely, it is. On paper, yeah, this team is better. Yeah, you don't bring in three grad transfers and not expect to make a deep run. But that's another blue blood. Duke, Georgia, Stanford, put them on the list. I think you're right to question that we didn't see high-level success outside this back consolation run from them. That said, those are three teams who, if things break right, 
we will be talking about them all season long. With that said, you ready to move on to the men's side? Let's do it. All right. Let's start with Holy Nishesh. Holy Nishesh is <laughs> Nishesh Basavaretti exceptional. And the 17-year-old who I once deemed the best 15-year-old in the world and who was a guy competing at Le Petit AS and all the big junior events, but a guy who's had a lot of knee troubles throughout the course of his career and injuries have kept him out of the junior rankings. That said, he and Ozan Barris, junior U.S. Open champions this September, he goes 17-1. and one. This fall, consolation champion at the All-American, three-set wins over Fenty, Cornet Chauvink to get to the final, and then was the only person who seemed to figure out how to properly attack the Elliott Spaziri backhand. A straight-set win in the final, serves forward up 5-3, broke in for 5-4, breaks back to close out the match at 6-4. I joke about it on the, on the broadcast, but there is some degree of serious when I say Djokovic, Zverev, Korda, Nishesh, in terms of my backhand power rankings. It is that easy for him on that wing. He incorporates the serve and volley. His ability to find the outer thirds, move forward, how mature his game is, how comfortable he is at the net. He's clearly a freshman at times. Like, you you can tell that he's still in his shell kind of figuring things out. That said, I have no questions about his tennis, Jay. I mean, between he now, Ethan... And Michael Zhang, this freshman class is very, very good. Yeah, well, they certainly got the men's newcomer rankings correct, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, every big title this fall was taken uh, by a freshman. Look, I had the chance to watch Basavaretti at the Northwest Regional, and I didn't come away that impressed. And I am now realizing that it was because it was maybe – a little bit too straightforward in some of those early rounds of sure. the Northwest regional, but watching him on the stream, I mean, you just see everything that you talked about, including his hands, right. With the drop shot and the volleys. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Um, the amount of shots he has in his game for still being just 17 years old. And I think you're right. I would be curious to get your take on how he was able to break down the Spaziri backhand in a way that other players were not because it seemed like his kick serve to the backhand, you know, hitting the forehand of the open court, like that worked all day long for him. And it was just a really great, great tournament for him. Yes. You saw some freshman inexperience in some of those matches where he let leads slip, but otherwise, you know, first freshman since Mitchell Frank in 2011. You said the big thing. He attacked the open space and Spazira cheats over, whether it be on the return of serve, whether it be during the rally, Nishesh was not afraid to play through the Elliott forehand. Nishesh would throw in the slice out wide on the deuce side on a second serve to keep Elliott honest. And then it was the moving forward. He was comfortable enough moving forward that as good as Elliott is hitting that forehand pass on the run, Nishesh was ready. Nishesh was there to close out the high backhand volley cross court to the open space or take that next ball a little earlier, a little bit down the line. He takes everything early on the rise because he doesn't have the quickest first step or the best movement, but his first step, his anticipation skills are that good. He also has really fast hands. He's just good. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Nishesh Basavaretti deserved to be the champion, and I think Fenty went 0 of 7 on break points in the third set in their quarterfinal to drop the second set as definitively as he did against Cornet Chauvink, was down love 40 at 1-2 in his third set service game, holds there for two all, runs away with the set from there. He's the real deal. 
And now you think Nishesh, Basing, Ferry, Banerjee. I mean, they have depth as well. I think it's Sa, and I'm blanking on a name for six, but like, it's interesting. I think Sa's gone. Or I'm blanking. Then it's someone else who's still around uh, that can stick around and you provide them the depth. Shridhar, Kalinsky. That's who I'm thinking of. It's Shridhar. But here's the thing. I think it's the same thing for USC and Stanford. I really like both of their sixes, and I'm just incorporating USC in this conversation because I think they're here as well. You know, I like the six guys that Stanford are going to put out court. I like Woj, Mock, Wistrade, Colby, Dostinick, Fry. That's a really good six. I think both those teams might be thin. I think both those teams might be a guy short. Who's their seven? Who's their eight if there's an injury and someone needs to fill in? Which of those bottom of the lineup guys are really going to pop? I have questions about both of those teams from a depth perspective, but now when I look at Stanford, again, Ferry, Bosfer, if Ferry's back, Bosferetti, and Basing, that's a really good top three. Yeah, I think there's an argument that Stanford's top three is a top three, top three in the country. Is it a top three, top three? Virginia, because Radesh Montez von der Schulenberg earned the yep. right to be there. See, I'm going to say Michigan, and people can't get mad at me and say it's biased. I'm not biased anymore. Objectively, Michigan has to be in that conversation, particularly if Fenty's going to keep playing this well. But Maloney, Styler, Fenty is a solid top three. TCU's top three, Famba, Jong, whom maybe it's Pennington Jones if he can play. Monday, Mitsui, fill in the blank in the third. That's really good. But you're right. Like Stanford's right there with everyone. They are absolutely spiz. Bailey, Braswell, I might still take that top three if everyone's healthy. I mean, it's a conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's a conversation. Uh, yeah, I think the one you left out was Kentucky, right? Oh, they do bring no, they're back. number one. Draxel, Diallo, Ianni, if they come back, are the definitive number one. Ohio State, Kingsley, Tracy, whomever plays three is probably in that conversation as well. Yeah, but you have to lean. You have to go Stanford in a lot of these conversations, right? Just yeah. given that Ferry and Bassavretti look like they would both be top ten. So players. does Basing, by the way. Basing's been really good. Yeah, no, he's been excellent, right? And you look at him playing three against some of these others. So, yeah, I mean, it's worth worth calling out. I do think on the Stanford men's, it's almost the same story with the women. Like, I'm not sure I trust five and six. I feel like I know who's going to play top four. Other than that, I think it becomes a question, but. Yeah. No, and I mean, obviously for him uh, to win the title, uh, a massive moment for Nishesh. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On the flip side, I mentioned Spiz in Texas. Spaziri into the final wins over Johns, wins over Fernley. He gets a pretty impressive win in round number one as well over Harris Walker. He's doing this all with one wrist, Jay. And yeah. it's just, I know from a numbers perspective, Crawley had the best fall maybe we've seen in college tennis history. But like context-wise, 
I argue Elliot Spazier has had the best fall we've seen of anyone in college tennis history because he did it all with one wrist. And it's just like he's chipping backhands. You know he's going to chip the backhand. And yet his serve, his forehand, his physicality are so overwhelming. Like I said this on the pod, uh, on the broadcast, but I feel better about Elliot Spazieri as a junior than I ever did Arthur Rinderkanesh. And it does feel like, again, what is this experience going to do from him from a developmental standpoint when he gets his backhand back? How much more complete is he going to be? I just like, if you're asking me to go to war with any player in the country, I think I'm picking Spazieri and I feel pretty good. Like if you're asking me to pick my lineup, I'd be like, all right, I'll take Elliot one because he'll figure it out and we'll figure out the rest. Yeah, it's truly remarkable. I think anyone who's played tennis can just understand how frustrating it would be to go out there and not be at full strength, right? And have to hit slice backhand on every single shot. And there's so many points where it gets him into massive trouble. He doesn't need to be out here either, right? Like he doesn't need to be competing here. He could just be back in Texas rehabbing. I mean, to have these results this fall, the entirety of the fall has been been Herculean, really, in these results. I don't know how he's doing it. It is super impressive. I I feel like we keep wondering when he's going to start hitting the two-handed backhand, and it, that time never comes. And so the longer that that goes, I get more and more worried that, it's, that we're not going to see it. But... I, I hope we do because you're right. I, I can only imagine just the the physicality that this has offered him, but also just the emotional and um, intellectual struggles he's gone through uh, to be able to compete like this. Elliot, Micah, Cleve, Pierre, Chichi, Siam, all back. This team can win a national championship this year. And as good as Virginia is, as good as a lot of other schools are, I swear to God, you play that round of 16, 10 times, Texas is winning at least three of them. And if this roster is fully healthy from start to finish in a season, which they were not at any point last year, except for maybe when they beat Florida in the first round of the national indoors, if they're healthy, they're unequivocal top five, and they can absolutely be the number one team in the country. And that starts with, and it is epitomized by the efforts of Spaziri, who even when one-handed continues to fight at an elite national level. And he and Cleve were pretty good in doubles, uh, picking up right where Cleve and Richard left off last season. That said, as we look at the men's draw, obviously uh, semifinalists were, the, all semifinals were the top four seeds. Shout out to Universal Tennis. Any other storylines jump out to you that you want to discuss? Yeah, we talked about the freshmen. I think obviously Ethan Quinn not here at this tournament, but these other four players, shout out to Universal Tennis, who, who top four seeded players arguably, you know, had outside of Ethan Quinn, the four best balls, right? Like this really felt like the culmination of players who had all made marks at All-Americans, made deep runs here at Fall Nats. Overall, I thought that... Um, uh, made a lot of sense to kind of have this uh, culminate the way it did. Yeah, I, I think there were a bunch of good names. Again, Michael Zing, one in three win over Hugo Martins in the final. Good win over Harris Walker in three sets. That's very relevant to the Ivy League moving forward. Michael Zing, I saw him in person this summer. He moves the ball extraordinarily well. He moves well. He's just rock solid. He's going to be a nightmare to go up against all year long. So I think that's a very good point. I don't want to be self and Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
let me do it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, the one player who I think has really stood out is Andrew Fenty, yeah. right? And his results at both the regional event, which he won, tough regional, includes players from Ohio State, Ozon Barris, Michigan State. And you know, he makes the quarterfinals here, falls to Bossa Veretti in a match that was, was quite close. You talked about all the chances Fenty had. Fenty's the sort of player where it's like extremely high talent, you know, work ethic seems at times questionable. And so if he's putting this together in the fifth year that he's having right now, that is, you know, extremely good news for any Michigan fan. I don't know. We don't have any on this call, but if you are a Michigan Hmm. fan, uh, that's great news. Yeah, I think for Michigan and the big thing for Fenty was they were really good last year and he wasn't at his best. And I think he sees, well, if I'm at my best, how freaking good can we be? And Gavin beats J.J. Tracy in the regional. Maloney's doing great things on the pro tour. I almost said something I'm not supposed to say on the show. So shout out to me, Alex, for holding that little nugget in. Um, And you know what you're going to get with Styler. And, like, you know what you're going to get with Bickersteth. Nino is exceptional. And he might not play because Bjorn Svensson beat Adrian Boyton this summer twice. Twice. And so it's like, how can you not play Bjorn? If you think I'm not having this conversation with my little— we haven't seen Bjorn. Well, we haven't seen him play this fall. You're right. That said, Michigan's depth is real. Like, it's just real. And if Andrew Fenty's playing this well and you play him at one, where you feel like he could win at one at times as much as he could win at six. and Or lose at three. Yeah, sure. And so play him at one, justifiably so. If this is the Andrew Fenty we're getting, he should maybe play number one singles. And how does that not just make the entire Michigan— Like, this Michigan team, I defer to you. Do they have the depth? Because I see seven legitimate— and. No disrespect to Will Cooksey or Patorn, who beat Presley this past weekend. Like, this team has real depth. Yeah, I mean, I would take Michigan's number six player against any of these top contenders right now. I'd take their number six against Virginia. I'd take their number six against Kentucky. I'd take their number six against Tennessee, Georgia. And that that's what wins you championships. Texas. If we get a Michigan Texas rematch, I would really like that because boy, did it was tight. It was just fantastic tennis between both sides, and obviously Bruce Burke, former University of Michigan head coach. Um, I just think it's a really fun matchup. Is there two teams who play extraordinary tennis up and down the lineup, and it was very fun to be at that match. Yeah, I will be fascinated to see where everyone ranks Michigan in their preseason top 10 because I do think they are a preseason top 10 team, and I think you can make a case for them to be pretty high on that list as well. That said, when I look at some of the other things, shout out to Utah, whether it was Geronimo in singles or in the doubles, it was, I believe, uh, Burke and Patrick uh, who made the semifinals for Utah. Really good run for the Utes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... They had some early season success this past year, right? Where they were on, they reached like the top 25 and then kind of um, tailed off towards the end. But great, great event for them staying on the West Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Then you got to give a massive shout out. Second consecutive year, third straight year, they made the final, but second year title for the Ohio State Buckeyes. This time it's Luchanig and Tracy. And look, I said it every day on the broadcast. He's a friend of the program. 
what he's gone through. Andrew Luchonic had knee surgery, he told us, three months ago. And for him to be back out in court, having this success he's having in doubles, to see Ohio State repeatedly have success in doubles, obviously Ty Tucker's got a system. Obviously, it works. The staggered serve and volley they incorporated was another tactical wrinkle of genius I enjoyed. It's it, it's clear. It's just it has to be acknowledged. There's a reason Ohio State is really good at doubles every year, and we see that manifesting itself once again this fall. Yeah, I mean it's some funky doubles if you haven't yeah. seen it, but uh, it works, right? And um, you know this is a team that actually lost in their regional in the semifinals to Gavin Young and Andrew Fenty. Got the ITA wild card, came in here as the four seed, and um, you know was able to to continue the Ohio State magic as it comes to these fall national events and doubles. Yeah, I think that's good. One other shout out I would give Finn Bass of Baylor, who needs to take a jump up this year if Baylor wants to stay top ten, stay in that quarterfinals and on conversation, and he's done that this fall. Whether it's he and Mizuchi making the semifinals of the doubles or him just getting into the singles draw, having the regional success he did. Finn's got to be a top four, top three guy. He's got to be good in that spot if Baylor wants to sustain their positioning. And this fall indicates that the work I know he's been putting in in the offseason, it, it paid off. Like he was a guy who can be a really good top three guy this season by his fall results. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough regional, right, that he went and won. Uh, and so to do that, earn his spot here at Fall Nats is a testament to the the really the steady improvement, right? If you think back mm-hmm. just a few years ago, he was not in the lineup. He was just playing doubles. Last season, he comes in really solid at the middle to lower half of the lineup. And to your point, if Baylor is going to continue to have the success they've had over the last few years, he's going to need to have those sorts of results, but at a position or two higher. Can Columbia sneak into your top 10 preseason? West Paul and, you know, Michael Zhang now, Alex Kotzen back, all these guys. I think they took a mini jump up. They had a pretty good fall. Yeah, but Alex Kotzen didn't, right? Yes. And so that's sort of, a, yeah. yeah, great to have Zhang. Tough to have, like, your number one player take a step back. Uh, you know, there's just so many teams. Uh, yeah. You know, we will, we will see where they... Uh, where they fall. Yeah. All right. Any other fall takeaways? Fall takeaways or, or just fall, this tournament? Yeah, fall, well, fall mat or fall takeaways as we wrap this show. Well, my biggest ending is that if you are a coach listening to this and you do want your team featured in the mm-hmm. top 10 rankings, let us know who you're bringing in or at least give us a hint. Because so the that's last like thing- remaining questions, right? Is who's coming in where? That's really the big thing now is, okay, who's got the pickups left? I would say it's it's twofold. It's like okay. of the pickups that have come in, who is eligible? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's question number one, because there are a lot of teams with players on the roster that I don't know if they're going to be eligible. Players like Jack Pennington Jones of TCU, right, um, comes to mind. There are a lot of other players like that. So that's first one is like who's eligible. Second is of the players that you teams that you think will have players coming in, you know, let us know. Uh, It would be great to get a little bit of a heads up. That's the second question of who are the additions, even a team like the Texas men that you talked about. Well, they lost Ciamara. Who are they bringing in? That feels like a a gap. We learned about Bailey pretty late in the season last year. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me to see something there as well. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's going to be, 
a fascinating year because we still do have that extra year of COVID players. And so certainly there's depth in ways that your typical college tennis seasons remain, would not have. And all of our perceptions are skewed right now of what it means to actually be a good team. Like, again, we said this last year talking about Virginia. They were a preseason six. In any other year, Virginia would have been the unequivocal preseason number one. You just couldn't say that with the depth everyone has around the country. And I think coming around off of this fall, we see a lot of that depth manifest itself in the different regional runs, the different individual runs. And that's a great thing for college tennis fans. It means it's going to be a very fun season for all of us to enjoy. With that said, what can they expect from you in the coming months, my dear friend? Just churning out more content, uh, you know, <laughs> I have a few sort of like off season type things I want to cover, uh, things like recommendations for college tennis, uh, things I'd like to see in the short term, near term, long term. Um, you know, obviously you and I will be partnering on the the women's top 10. So we'll have that to look forward to each week. Uh, so looking forward to that. That was um, it's always a, a fun time of year. So looking forward to putting that out there. Uh, follow me on Twitter where I've been doing stuff, but also on Instagram. I'm having fun over there. No ad, no problem. You know, it's a good time. That's what I like to hear. Yes, we are looking forward to seeing more of your face. And this time I waited till the end of the show. Any final broadcast thoughts, comments, criticisms for us moving forward? You like the interviews? Those were professional. Those were great. Thank you. Uh, those were much better than the, like, uh, selfie view uh interviews we've done in the past so those were great those felt very professional uh i did like those a lot um that's that's really all i need okay yeah don't worry that's i do i do wish we had another camera yeah the two angles i do wish we had another camera the two makes such a difference yeah Yeah, that it really does make make such a difference for the broadcast um, and even if we just had it for something like the finals, it really elevates the production. Yeah, very fair. All right. With all that said, for the fantastic John Parsons, again, founder of the No Ad No Problem podcast and blog and Cracked Rackets contributor extraordinaire, for our super producer, Daniel Stuff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next time. Thank you as always, my friend. Thank you.